the podcast for the real world meets the digital world as we explore the intersection of spatial computing and AI. Let's welcome our host, Andrew Ballard. Over to you, AB. Well, g'day and welcome to episode five of Spatial. This is a uh, Apple Vision Pro themed episode where we are, well, here in this part of the world, it is launch day, granted in the USA, that's already confusing. Yet in the USA, it's still the day before, it's uh, the 1st of February. So we're joined, we're down by um, uh, Helena, we have Merrick, we have Violet and we have William be covering uh, Fast Five news based on the Apple Vision Pro, and then we're going to be doing a deep dive where we're going to be trying to figure out between the four of us whether we have a moral majority who loves it, hates it, wants to wait and see, and what we think the future might hold for spatial computing as a whole, given the largest tech company hmm, by market cap anyway, in the world has now released their flagship model to the world. So without further ado, let's dive straight into Fast Five. First Fast Five of the week, Violet, over to you. Yes, and you've hit the target with a Vision Pro themed news item. Go for it. That's right. Okay, so the article I'm sharing is called What's Amazing and Potentially Terrible About Apple's Vision Pro. So, um, what I love about this is that it's the CEO of Niantic Labs. So for folks not familiar with that, the person who's writing this um, does the company that came out with the Pokemon Go. So the Pokemon Go was all about this AR interaction where people go out into the world and find Pokemon Go's and it was like really interesting because people would run into each other. You'd have groups of people that just stumble into strangers and now all of a sudden they're like trying to find Pokemon in the park. It invented um, the word uh, fombies, wasn't it? The phone zombies. I remember here in Melbourne, people would be um, huddled under this bridge that was a mecca for one of the Pokemon. You've got to catch them all. And there were literally 100 people at its peak all just waiting for one virtual thing to virtually appear. So <laughs> fombies was born. I love it. Yes. So um, this was one of the things he said on, on one of the one of the platforms of our era. He says, my plea to the industry, let's not lose sight of the ultimate goal. Devices that can connect us to the real world and people around us and make our experiences as human beings out in the world richer and better. So the whole article that he has is, you know, it's amazing we have this spatial interaction now, but some of the first interactions we're seeing on the Vision Pro is someone alone at home watching movies. And so, um, you know, I think that he has a really important message, which is how can we start to use technologies like this? to get us to engage more with each other and to engage more with the world and not engage so much with the media itself. We've already dove into that. So um, quick read, great article. Yeah, it's a beautiful take. Yeah, it's a, you're right. It's a nice plea to 
keep a baseline there. And uh, it's um, a new bit of hardware, but it's, yeah, if it's going to bind you to the couch, then great. That's one more thing that's going to keep us doom scrolling or virtually doom scrolling. No, thanks, Violet. Awesome. Eric, over to you. Yes, thank you. I just wanted to mention uh, maybe something that puts things in perspective because everybody talks about Apple Vision Pro and how it's going to change everything and how it's the new thing. They're only going to make sixty to 80,000 of these in this first batch. And if you compare that to, say, uh, Meta's Quest 3, which was actually scaled back from the original production estimates, still in the second half of last year, they shipped were about to ship about two and a half million. They're expected to ship about a million in 2024. That is scaled back from seven million total for the same period. Apple Vision Pro is ultimately a VR device, right? With some AR elements, we'll talk about that, but it's not necessarily completely game-changing things in terms of technology or you know, these principles that, you know, we, we talk about on this, on this podcast, it is a really niche, uh, platform. That's, that's what I just wanted to plug in before we dive into it to, you know, stay reasonable. No, it makes perfect sense. And there's also many, uh, big, uh, brands, big app developers who have pointed out that it's a niche and they won't be joining this first release. They're all on a big wait and see watch to see whether they'll dive in. I mean, we, we, we might as well be, we might as well be in this, we might as well be, sorry for interrupting, we might as well be in this like, you know, iPhone one period, because when you look at it, there's not much content, there's whatever Apple managed to produce or come up with, but I think it's ultimately on the developers to come up with something interesting. But again, it's a VR platform, you know, and, and there's plenty of VR things around already. No, absolutely. And yet you can't use the existing content with, with, with Apple Vision Pro. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch that, definitely. No, beautiful. No, and uh, great to keep in mind that the numbers are definitely down in the realm of first adopters, leading edge, the bleeding edge. Um, I think probably most of the 80,000 or 60,000 are going to be people who are going to be wanting to develop or already have other headsets lying around. So it definitely is a um, uh, starting from a fertile ground of people who are already halfway in the field. No beauty. Um, look, my fast five for this week is a lovely long piece. Um, it's actually long because of uh, the diagrams. Fabian Cruiser, I've got the link in the show notes, um, showing that it's the hardware is, yep, for the Vision Pro is fantastic, but actually he's putting forward that the ecosystem is probably the killer app that is going to be probably the make or break or the longevity of the first hype cycle. Um, saying that Vision OS is one part of the mix. Yes, it's a brand new interface, but you've all seen from the tours, it's nothing that's too radical. It's in the classic icon and swipe left and pinch. But he's actually saying it's the ecosystem of Apple's entire hardware that you can't think of any Apple product, hardware and Asterix software as well, that won't have a potential tie-in to the Vision Pro. So not saying that you need one or need the other, although I'm sure that's probably the ultimate marketing aim, but almost every piece of Apple hardware that you probably have lying around, and yes, I'm looking at my shelves here behind me, um, is going to at least not not uh, contribute to the Vision Pro. So in a positive way, it will have some function that will help assist, hand off, be part of, even wearing a watch, even wearing your um, uh, earpods, AirPods. Um, it's 
going to be relatively seamless. And he's putting forward that the sum is definitely more than, uh, sorry, the, the total is more than the sum of the parts. And that is the ecosystem, which is probably going to drive that longevity of the hype cycle. So a, a beautiful post, lots of uh, imagery of um, how every product in Apple's lineup has some tangential links to enable a bit of spatial computing and one large image at the top that tries to show a uh, matrix of how everything can coalesce and at least support this new uh, uh, device. This new thing in the mix is fantastic. If it was standalone, wow, that would be quite a perilous thing. But he's saying that it's part of a wider ecosystem. That's what he's watching out for. And I've probably got to say I'm in that same camp. So probably putting forward my thoughts there. William, over to you for the last of our fast fives this week. Yeah, thanks. Um, this particular announcement is, um, I think, interesting from some perspective. It's not directly related to, say, what we might normally think of as spatial AI. But Google has just announced a new product within their labs division called ImageFX. It's uh, uh, yet another, one could argue, text-to-media tool or text-to-image tool um, that lets people create images with text prompts. I think that the, the interesting part about it is it's one of a suite of products, another called MusicFX, which allows folks to create music from, again, from text. Um, the image model is based off of uh, a new model they call ImageN, or ImageN Im, a concatenation, obviously, of image and generation, uh, ImageN2, which is a diffusion model. And something that makes this interesting, I think, is the fact that it's paired with yet another model that they have called SynthID. SynthID is a tool that they claim is for watermarking and identifying AI-generated content. So it essentially creates a digital watermark directly into the AI-generated images or the audio that are created from the ImageFX and MusicFX products. And I think it's interesting to start to observe how the technologies are starting to negotiate this challenge with uh, copyrighted images. Um, we see things like uh, regulation emerging in the EU regarding image scraping across the internet because these diffusion models are trained on, on billions of images that are publicly available. There, there are, um, and so SynthID is a kind of proactive technique that says, if you are generating something, then the digital watermark can identify that as AI generated and therefore um, when those images are consumed later or um, then it's it's obvious it's more obvious what their provenance was is this potentially something that was intended from a creative perspective or is it something that was that's perhaps um, uh, intended to uh, appear as something that is uh, authentic but it but it really isn't and then on the on the flip side of that um, there are emerging defensive technologies emerging as well, like this algorithm called Nightshade, which is um, intended to say what they call poison uh, an image model. Um, should should you as an artist opt in to using Nightshade, uh, it will corrupt uh, to some degree uh, the any image model that's um, consuming your um, artwork without your consent. And so I think that there's a there's a sort of interesting set of um, dynamics emerging around defensiveness on one side, powered by technology, uh, on another side, um, powered by regulation, and then another side 
that is um, essentially trying to um, ensure that uh, AI-generated content is is watermarked and therefore identifiable. And um, as that starts to as that starts to become more pervasive, because a lot of these spatial AI technologies are um, say following that curve, things like text to point cloud or text to 3D model, I think it'll be interesting to see how that emerges as well. Once we start training models on large numbers of 3D models, like from mm -hmm. any of the 3D marketplaces, for example, then, um, then 3D model marketplaces, and then we should, we should start seeing something similar emerge, I think. Absolutely. I think you're going ahead of the curve there, William. That's certainly going to be pretty huge in the next, well, probably this year. It's going to, as, as you say, be a big topic for 2D imagery and then, of course, video series of 2Ds. And, um, but yes, with the spatially aware models following and fast following, then this is going to be something that almost certainly will be retroactively slapped on as a, you know, um, the watermarking is a phenomenal concept. It's one of the first things I've actually heard of that's gone from open source models to proprietary models as behind an API and pay per million clicks. Now to, well, it's potentially, it, it depends how they actually uh, put it out there, but to have it watermarked every single time it's used and be able to follow that uh, digital provenance is quite amazing. We've actually hit the nail on the head. Uh, Helena, who's not with us today, she's out and about, is going to be leading next week's deep dive and we're going to be roughly covering the shady, shadowy, obtuse topic of ethics regulation and this kind of topic of what might be the future roadblocks in our way. So perfect timing, William. Thanks for that. Well, that wraps up Fast Five. We are going to have a 10 second break and come back with a deep dive on the Apple Vision Pro. Deep dive. Okay, welcome back. This is Deep Dive. And yes, Apple Vision Pro is the central focus of today's um, episode. Uh, it is released all through this week. Uh, I am recording on this side of the dateline. So for me, it's Groundhog Day, the 2nd of February. But sadly, I'm also in the wrong country. So this product won't be released in Australia. Shedding a small tear here. But for our USA friends, the three hosts here, um, they are within somewhat walking distance of what should be um, a product that should be available, but it's not, it's already sold out. Um, Merrick saying they were talking about 60 to 80,000 units. And I think even two weeks ago, when online orders came and went, you there was a mad scramble for which store would have a little bit of stock. And it was very quickly apparent that there was none left. Pre-orders and those quick orders gobbled up all the stock. Not to mention that you actually couldn't just buy one and have it arrive. Although we have seen a lot of reviewers have their box units and their unboxings come straight to their door. The way of working now is that you're meant to go into store and have a fitting for the different light cones and pads. And if you need to, your glasses, all four of us are wearing glasses. So we all need to have a bit of a reconcile of that before we go and do our Vision Pro setup. That's okay. Look, one and all, love to open the floor for what is... Um, well, here's the, here's the big question. Is this a revolutionary, an evolutionary? Is this a line in the sand? Is this just any regular Thursday, any regular Friday? We think the Vision Pro is going to have on the field of, well, I could say it two ways, AR, VR, XR, or do we have to use the new phrase that Apple wants us to use of spatial computing? Have to go either way. Violet, over to you. I think you're trying to hold back. Go for it. Hey, enough. I do think 
that it is revolutionary. I won't, I won't fight against that. I think this is going to really change things. Um, I don't like it though. <laughs> it's headed. Uh, yeah, I think that spatial computing is here to stay. I think it makes sense because it's easier to do certain things. Um, I don't like the individualist nature of it. That uh, gotcha. the pass through actually means I'm going to see a different reality than other people. I think that's going to make the filter bubble terrible. And I think uh -huh. we already have enough problems in the world where we see different realities. Now we are actually allowing Apple, a company, to insert to a new reality. Yeah. Our senses, our eyes so directly. Um, I actually think that their phrase beyond the screen, that's like a phrase I have used in the past. And it it's I, it's like a double speak to me. You know, I'm like, the screen is in your face. You know, you're like putting a screen on your eyeballs. So that kind of makes me that makes me a little angry. Um, so, yeah, for that reason, I mean, I think the utility of being able to put things in space the ability to control things with your hands like that all is amazing. It's profoundly useful. I hate that we have screens on our faces and that Apple's in control. Um, and, th and then that that in and of itself um, could be isolating. And I have a lot more to say, but I I'll stop there. No, no, good one. Uh, would you have preferred the HoloLens more sun visor sort of look where you can have um, AR only and have people being able to see people's eyes and people's face naturalistically. I guess the Google Glass mode of, um, I think at CES we saw one of the first transparent TVs. So would you be wishing for a future where those two technologies combined and it was either a Google Glass that was your entire set of glasses or a headset that was a blackout when you needed to be, but completely passed through when you wished it to be? Neither, actually. I think my interest, love, obsession is much more about environmental computing and collective computing interfaces. So I think our era has been um, just completely perverted by this idea of personal computing, us buying individual devices, us seeing our own realities. Um, I'm going to go spend $4,000 for a Vision Pro. Um, we just bought a ton of projectors for way less than that. So I think that there's a lot of computing devices in the world that can allow us to interact more collectively. Yeah, nice. Use spatial computing that allows us to like all see something together and see the same reality. So like that's the future I'm invested in. And it pains me to see that the big companies are investing on a different trajectory because then I'm forced to live in that weird reality where other people are work like walking around with. Yeah, makes perfect glasses. sense. My, my wife is um, a geologist. Uh, she's out of earshot, which is great. She's not overly spatially aware. Um, Tetris was her only game on Xbox, nothing in 3D space that could get you confused with up, down, left, right, roll, pitch, and yaw. Um, but a solution for her and some of her colleagues was not to chuck on the headset or anything in that mode or even mouse keyboard and, you know, up, down, left, right, yeah, roll, pitch, yaw. But the nice thing for her would have been to throw her in a room with four projectors, four white walls, and some way to just you know, navigate through it fluidly. And that sort of immersive um, with colleagues in the same room, you could all be looking at the same thing, but still that is that shared experience versus a personal experience. And look, makes perfect sense. These are all me-centric. What do we all think of the, probably the most contentious feature on the Apple Vision Pro and the only part that's actually being 
publicly tagged and tagged as beta. The personas, i.e. the weird ass eyes on the outside. That is actually more interesting than you may think. Uh, because what they do with that person or with those eyes that you see on the outside, first of all, it is weird, and that's why it's you know subject of so many memes. Yep. I find it quite interesting as a way to convey, you know, to communicate from within the headset with somebody who's who's, who's on the outside in the physical world. But what's behind this is this whole persona kind of functionality. So they create your digital twin, scan your face. And then with all these sensors that are facing you, it begins with eye tracking, but, but you know, there's more cameras than, than, than just that. They're animating this persona. Yeah. And if you watch somebody uh, doing FaceTime on the Vision Pro, it's actually really interesting. So it's uncanny without file. It's, it's close, but not quite. Merrick, we've lost you. We've lost your audio. Might be that your microphone. Oh. Or better, we got you again. All good. Take it again from that, that thought. You are back. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so to touch on Violet's concern, all these promotional materials it are about a person sitting alone in a dark room watching Netflix, right? And that's kind of underwhelming and sad. And I, I, I totally get it. But I think what they're trying to do with, say, FaceTime is to allow you to communicate with other people from within that headset. And these these personas are in this uncanny valley. It's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of unsettling sometimes. I would say it's much better approach than, than the, the, the fully-fledged cringe that, that Meta is producing. Now, you as a grown-up adult don't want to be presented as this like childish caricature of yourself, right? Most of the time, I, I hope I hope it's gonna. I hope that the whole thing will go away as, as as quickly as it started because I just can't take it. This 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 persona approach is much more interesting to me, and it's it's not the newest. You know, it's it's not the first time somebody tried it. I saw um, a paper. It came out like two years ago, uh, and NVIDIA was experimenting with something similar. They were doing video conferencing where they wouldn't send, they wouldn't send, they wouldn't send, send pixels of a video, but they would animate your avatar on the other end, pretty much the same approach. And I think that's really interesting. And if we can figure out how to make this lifelike, I believe this is actually much closer to... Last time we spoke with Violet about about you know conveying emotions in VR and then communicate as, as people do with body language and you know a little bit of um, facial expression. So I think this does that actually really well. Only the the visual representation of yourself is not photorealistic. It's kind of close. It's a little weird, but I think it conveys all these emotions and little things that, that we look for in, in human communication really well. So I find that bit the most interesting. And and people talk about FaceTime being actually the killer app for, for Vision Pro. And I see that as maybe the most impressing Apple has done with the platform so far. 
William and Violet, how do you feel about Apple's attempt, and it is attempt, with the pass-through and with the persona of the eyes on the outside to try and limit it from being a me-centric to a potentially I can keep them on while I'm having a chat in an office setting or when, you know, dog comes up to you, it, you know, breaks through the immersion. How do you feel of their try, and a good try and a brilliant try, risky try, of trying to expand the world from one to one and a bit people. Well, I think when you're, when you have the headset on, it, you're still a bit of other. And I wonder if it's a kind of comfort level with the technology that we'll have to develop over decades where we, where someone without the headset sort of is accustomed to someone with the headset. Um, there are a lot of, there's certainly a lot of patterns that we were unaccustomed to when, um, uh, the technologies we use every day were released, things like um, having a Bluetooth headset on and, and, uh, and sort of a hands-free scenario. And you see people in the coffee shop or in the airport um, sort of talking to themselves. But now we know that they have a, a, a Bluetooth headset in their ear and are on a phone call. Those um, first few years were spot the crazy person walking down the street and, you know, are they a, 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 a technologist or are they a, yeah, escapee? Yeah, for sure. And but that that otherness, I think, is very is still very strange, um, at least uh, in this first impression. And and I think that the using the word persona is an interesting um, approach as well. And it's and I, I think the origin of of our modern use of the word comes from um, Greek drama, where persona was the the character that you would put on as as an actor, and that was embodied as literally. Yeah, and so in and so those those masks that um, that the Greek um, uh, actors would wear um, literally represented a sort of uh, the character, what we would call today a character that the actor is intending to represent, and in some ways um, that uh, mirrors quite um, quite directly the uh, the pitch videos that we're seeing that. You wear the Apple Vision Pro in a work setting, and in some cases, that that digital persona or the eyes on the outside um, are sort of embodying your work self. It's almost like here is Apple filtering certain parts of you so that they are um, potentially being either filtered or adjusted so for that uh, for the environment that you're in. And so, and I, there's a there's always been in recent years this counter movement in workplaces for us to sort of bring our authentic selves to work. And I, I think that that's, I, I think that people have, I, I think that individuals think that they have to, even in those environments, have to be quite careful um, bringing certain parts of themselves to work. Um, and so is that something that we want to, to encourage? Is Apple a company that has sort of our best interest in mind in terms of presenting uh, an identity with this digital persona that uh, um, and, and then what are what are the outcomes of that? What are the, the sort of secondary and tertiary effects of that once we have a mix of folks that are both wearing and not wearing those those headsets? It makes me think that this sanitized version of yourself, this this persona mixed with now this wave of agents and generative AI, I think there's going to be a drive for authenticity and maybe the killer app is going to be my agent goes to work for me, joins the call, says what I wanted to say, but I'm never there. Like, I, I don't think we're actually that far 
from that reality, that sounds like the worst thing to happen to society, but maybe it's also great. I'm not sure. Marquise Branley already says that you can uh, set your persona when you're at your best and then wake up for that 7 a.m. call till half asleep and be in looking fantastic because that persona is uh, persistent. My open question is, I wonder how long it will be. Probably this weekend is going to be the answer till people actually don't scan their own face, but scan uh, a teddy bear, their dog, their, their cat, and have a library of uh, personas for different um, occasions. So I wonder if it's a single persona and you have to do it purposefully or whether you can have a library. And, you know, if it's Wednesday, I shall be a puppy dog. Yeah, or have it hacked intentionally where you have it be a faux persona where it's like literally an agent, not a human yep. that's pretending to be you. Yeah, nice. So, Mirik, your avatar might not just be a 2D picture of Iron Man, but actually you might actually be Iron Man today. That would be fantastic. No, we've been watching some um, unboxing videos. We've been watching some getting started, the hands-on. Um, uh, Marquise Branley has been one of the ones who's been doing an epically well-produced version of his first experiences, which is wonderful to see. Um, there's a lot that is of the headset that is absolutely, you know, easy to e explain, easy to talk about. And I guess if we we're playing the uh, bullet point by bullet point, uh, the headset itself has amazing... Uh, features, some amazing downsides, there have been some design challenges and some design choices that have been made to hit the target. Um, I think the battery and the fact that it uh, does not work under any, the, the second you unplug the battery, it's off. There's no internal minute, half a minute. So there's a lot of situations where people are well, probably keen to use it. I think they're trying to talk about whether we can use it on an airplane uh, ride, and that certainly makes sense in some way but uh, limitations on uh, energy capacity of the battery has already been questioned, its size, its milliamp hours, but also its efficiency is also being touted, that it's being put forward as being two or three hours of battery life, and most people are finding it's getting that plus more. So there's a lot of the hardware specs that have been, uh, well, long since talked about, they're being put to the test, and sadly anything that we talk about in a podcast that people are showing on YouTube is showing that you really can't show the 23 megapixels of screen density hitting your eyeballs. That's no way to show that. Um, the, uh, the refresh rate and the new chip that is doing the as real-time pass-through as has ever been seen for a headset is phenomenal. I think the proof for me was Marquez was doing, was actually playing uh, ping pong live with the headset on and look, he wasn't going to win any championships. He was playing without any great issues. So that's pretty phenomenal. I don't know whether his opponent was trying to smash him around the table or was playing nice, but the fact that that, that doesn't cause lag, latency, headaches is fantastic. Um, there's other parts of the equation of the minimalistic nature of it is certainly, you know, Apple's classic. Uh, it's not covered in buttons and covered in features. There's the digital crown, which does two or three functions, and there's the other button, which in combination with the digital crown does, quote-unquote, everything else. Um, beyond the hardware, though, I'm already interested in everyone's take on what the experience is. Daring Fireball, John Gruber, had a very long post in his seven days review of it and said that it's one of the first things where he's found that it's akin to getting back in the flow of his Macintosh. Um, he's been a Mac guy since the Mac came out, and I've better show my stripes here. I've also been a Mac guy since the Mac came out. Yep, my first Mac was in 1984. 
Just waiting for some people to cringe. No, okay, I held up okay then. Alrighty. Um, but uh, for him, it was about the flow was almost there from day two in that the first thing he noticed was that the experience of doing things, I'm now reaching for, reaching for my mouse here on the, you know, mouse mat here in front of me, I can use the scroll feature without having to look at it. But he found that one of the most jarring things that took 24 hours to get used to was the fact that you had to have your eyes attention on the thing to be doing the thing. And that's makes perfect sense and perfectly natural and reasonable, except that now limits all the things we do in our periphery that suddenly come to the fore interested in people's experience of well the vision os experience that if i if i can comment on that that makes perfect sense in theory but i am this is my biggest concern uh, hand gesture control on its own is something i'm not a big fan of uh it seems like the hand tracking actually works well and and Apple didn't go the same way others explored, such as, you know, you're actually pointing and clicking at things. It's it's more like gestures that you can do in the on the periphery. But the fact that you actually have to be gazing at a button or control element to operate that control element, that's I, I don't know how to comment. I need to try it, but I'm very skeptical about this particular feature or solution or you know design principle uh, can you foresee a pro mode or a power mode later on where once your let's say right hand is controlling the jog dial of application x and your left hand's doing pinching your right hand can continue like multi-hand multi-tracking i think there's like i can i can envision different ways of using this device and, and one that comes naturally is this extension of apple's environment right so i'm also an apple guy omega guy so if you put this on immediately you can have a virtual screen right now you can only have one so it kind of comes short you know of what it could be because it's not doing more than the screen my my my, my macbook already has <clears throat> so it's one thing but if you connect your existing hardware and, and, and keyboard and mouse or whatever you're using to you know your do your uh, computing with this virtual display and i'm fine with it that's 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 good if you if you can mouse around in the 3d environment and you're efficient and you know you see your virtual stuff around you that's cool that's fine some people may want to pay for it but if it's designed only to be operated by gaze and clicking you know by your fingers i don't see anybody doing any real work in, in this kind of situation. It's, it's really hard to explain. Marcus does does great job in iterating on that. I watched the same video. And I just, I just don't see this to be a very productive way of interacting with, with this device. So my prediction, year from now, two years from now, we're going to get Apple controllers, another thousand bucks that you can add to this. And it's going to be, you know, inside out tracking, whatever. Uh, the, I, I, mean, I mean, something like uh, like the controllers that Best Pro came with, you know, inside out tracking, you know, the device doing its own slam. It will hook to this and it will be, you know, in a typical Apple style, something, you know, slick and and, and amazing on its own. And, and you'll be willing to pay just for that. Yeah. Insert zeros here. But that you would think will give you some uh, persistence 
as uh, the same way now you can plug in with your Mac, you can use your keyboard and mouse and control other screens without needing to look. So other small devices. Yeah, I don't think in that scenario you'll want to use any external control. So this is actually like, you know, your uh, worst case scenario, you don't have anything. So this is how you interact with, with, with the device. Uh, but it's limiting what you can do with it in terms of VR. Uh, there's no games because all games these days use some sort of controller for for tactile uh, feedback and for you know precision. And you can totally operate a VR device and control UI element that's not in your immediate focus, and you, you don't have to be paying attention to a scroll bar to scroll, right? We, we don't, we don't, we can do other things while, while this is happening. So I'm thinking as they will most likely want to build up more VR content, more games, more immersive stuff that there'll have to be some sort of controllers. I want to say, I want to, I agree. I, I don't like the gaze, but I want to pick on something kind of specific about where this what gaze implies and where this technology is going i feel like there's a whole trend in motion towards interactions that require very focused attention they require um our eyes to be looking at something they require us to enter text into fields and know which menu we're in and click on a very specific button or tab. That's where computers are now. And I feel like the Vision Pro is extending this. It's like taking our vision. We are focusing it on things. It's very directed. I think there's an alternative wave of technology that's happening right now that is very intentionally trying to be peripheral. It's not trying to be the Unreal Engine hyper-real version of yourself. It's trying to get to what is the intention of the thing you're trying to do? And I'm going to almost sensory deprivation, like boil down, like you don't need all this UI. You don't need to read all this stuff on this website. All you need is like, you just need this piece of this recipe while you're cooking in the kitchen. And I'm going to give you just that piece of information in the lowest medium way to not distract you from the moment. And that might be audio only. Yeah, so just in time information. Yeah, and if it's a if it's a piece of information that you need and you need to see it, it's just that single piece of information. It's not the whole UI and all the information and context about it. And I I'm religiously on board with that future that's like pared down sensory deprivation, like don't unreal engine me and like give me the exact perfect version of myself. I'm kind of more about like uh, it, there's this great book that William pointed me to in Praise of Shadows that's like really talking about um, Japanese culture and what was lost during like its westernization. And a lot of it has to do with things like that sensory deprivation, intentionality, like quieter time, time for reflection. All these things that I think are missing in this yeah. type of action where you're like, requires a certain amount of like focus and attention so yep. my my take on this whole thing is like 
we need this other version of what whatever that is. And maybe like vision is not important. Maybe audio becomes more important in the future. Oh, nice one. Love that. So Apple's already taking a few serious risks by giving us what their design choices are for what's allowed inside this device and what kind of uh, experiences we can have. But you're also saying that that's awesome and that's great, but uh, you know, you'd love ironically less or smarter, not real time, but the just in time. What if it was even more uh, naturalistic, like there was someone else in the room with you giving you instructions, as you say, just when you need it. For some mm-hmm. tasks, that would be just the perfect elegance of right timing, right modality. Um, whereas this one is, yes, it's in your face, literally, it's on your face, um, but it uh, gives you the spatial vision plus the audio experience, and then the interactions are still up for grabs. No? Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talk about the weight, and that almost, so the weight is in the heaviness, uh, the weight is finally over for the timing, but um, a, uh, I've made a timeline. I've used our spatial space playground to do a timeline of VR headsets over the, well, since the early 90s. There's, um, it's interactive and lets you sort of play with it, and it's quite funny to see how, uh, how small the Apple Vision Pro is in terms of weight compared to some of its predecessors. It doesn't say it's zero weight. It just means that it's, it's certainly... Um, I think the most awkwardness about it is that it is all front. It's all front-loaded. Um, I've had some great experiences with the HoloLenses over the years, and uh, they are pretty good. They are what I would call an all-day wear. I never quite subscribe to the, you know, walking around the factory wearing them and, you know, seeing the digital overlay over the real world. It's actually probably a bit too hard. We'll leave that for a different day. But in terms of comfort, it was pretty good because it had the battery at the back of the headband. It was like you were wearing a baseball cap for the entire day. By the end of the day, you had a small headache because it was a bit tight, but that's about it. It was heavy, but well-weighted for a person's head for many hours. By the sound of it, this 600 grams, oh, I'd have to convert that to freedom units. Anyway, up one pound, I think, I think one, two kilograms. Anyway, I'm not the best at that. Um, being so front heavy is going to be the new problem of how to actually have the band Height, so it sucks to your head and distributes the weight the best. Um, any thoughts about what impact that's going to have in version one, and I guess which direction we're going to be heading in version two? Well, some of the critiques I've read about, in addition to the weight, are the fact that it messes your hair up. Oh. Um, and also, if you wear makeup, it can be quite a challenge um, to take it on and off, and then have to have to readjust. Um, there's so the to the rescue. Uh, indeed, there are apparently two. There are two headset. There are two band types that you can purchase, or that come along with the device, and then you sort of are fitted, and it, and it. You can you at least have the choice um, for which one works works well for you. Um, but perhaps the the battery life might help um, with enduring the weight um, somewhat. I'm not even sure. I would even know uh, how six hundred and. 600 and um, some odd grams on my head would, would actually affect my neck <laughs> or whatnot. But um, I, think we, I think with technology we, uh, these days, we also tend to struggle with ergonomics in general. Um, the sort of ironic uh, and satirical diagrams we've seen of the evolution of, of humans, but when the, with the final silhouette being us sort of crouched over staring at our, at our phones, 
um, I, I, I worry that, that, um, <laughs> that there's like a whole realm of ergonomic challenges coming our way. But, I, but again, this is, this is V1. This is the early adopter crowd. And the early adopters tend to make their decisions not based off of the merits of, say, productivity or, or ultimate value, but the novelty of the technology itself. And it, and it tends to become um, the, an extension of the design team in some ways so they can get feedback on, uh, on what works and what doesn't. Very so. much so. And Apple's marketing, this is the Apple Vision Pro. Now, Pro is the premium high-end version. What they're obviously doing is leaving space for the Apple Vision one or the Apple Vision two. I don't want to pre-go what Apple's marketing team is going to come out with, but there will be a lower cost, lower spec version of this somehow. The things that won't change, I would dare say, are the screens, uh, 23, 23 megapixels, 23 million pixels. Oh my God, 12 million pixels per eye is just... Um, I, I need to tell the story of I did my undergraduate engineering uh, final year project in 1994, thank you kindly, um, and I tried to do it using VR of can I screw a virtual bolt onto a virtual, a, a virtual nut onto a virtual bolt, and the answer was mm, it was going to take more than 12 months to figure that out, but I was mm -hmm. using, I kid you not, a Nintendo uh, power glove as the input device, and not the Nintendo uh Game Boy headset. I actually have forgotten the actual brand of the headset. It's on the list there somewhere. But I kid you not, I could, the resolution was so low, I could, if I, you know, deep focused or under focused my eyes, I could count the red, green, blue pixels. It was, I think, about 200 by 180 pixels in resolution. So it was so bad, you had to just, you know, literally look past that and try and get the vibe of, does it work? The answer is, it really didn't. We're far too early. But um, I think for a lower powered or a lower spec vision headset device, I think the weight is the first thing they're going to reduce. The aluminium framing is going to become plastic, kind of has to be, or they may even go down to carbon fibre. The glass front screen, well, they've done glass screens on laptops. They've then gone down to acrylic plastic sort of things and, you know, they'll tout them as being better, faster, stronger, more resistant to smudges, that kind of thing. But almost certainly the weight will come down. I dare say the battery might become integrated as an optional headset or there might be aftermarket products in a little while which mount the head, the uh, battery on the back of your head. It's going to add to the weight overall, but ergonomics might might bring it down. So I'm looking so forward I, to... I can, a, I can yeah. actually compare this design to uh, HTC's Vive, what is it called? Uh, HTC's Vive XR Elite that I have here. I keep forgetting the name because I used it only one day and I've then put it aside and never used it again. So the form factor is, is pretty similar. It's just slight, yep. you know, kind of goggles like device that you put on and you can choose to have your battery stripped on the back of your head or have it in, in your pocket like like with, uh, with Apple uh, Vision Pro. And initially, I found it really interesting, but then you realize that you need that counterweight to actually balance what's on the front of the device. I actually wish these companies went a bit for, went a bit further with this design and took the compute of the device, making it even lighter, because then you don't need the cooling, you don't need you know the, the, all the heavy stuff on the front of your face. 
ultimately you don't need the display that's showing you know, your eyes to other people you know that's just you know for the show but if you take all that and put it in your pocket and this compute slash battery pack then the whole thing becomes much lighter and you can maybe do something like big big screen is doing with those teeny tiny you know super comfortable goggles that are just goggles just that and your compute and your battery somewhere else and i think that's that's the ultimate form factor we want to we want to get to yeah, that tension between something like our glasses that we're wearing now or the Google glasses of years past and something that is fully featured now, which you know, weighs a good amount and is, um, yep, hardware spectacular, taking many, many risks. But yeah, as a something you'd want to wear the whole day, well, the answer is clearly, mm, we'd have to say no for now. Question is whether people start to post all day videos of it in the next couple of weeks. Violet. Oh, I'm sure they will. So my final question, and we, I want to go around the around the traps. I want a thumbs up, thumbs down, sort of Roman Gladiator style, yay or nay. Also, any ideas of what for you is the killer app that you have seen, have maybe heard about, or are looking forward to that would be a reason to have a Vision Pro on your shelf, on your desk? William, starting with you. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and what you desperately would want to see for the killer app. Right. Well, I, I think my thumb is in the middle um, because it, 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 is a, it is a remarkable piece of technology. I think if you had to sort of turn up, turn up to the max all of the sensors and other sort of spatial detection um, devices that, that you need to do something uh, as high quality as this, like the Apple Vision Pro is that device. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not particularly a fan of, of the isolation. I think that there's, uh, you know, given that this is still a new product, I'm sure that the interaction model will improve. Um, like perhaps you will be able to do an extended desktop from your machine. Maybe eventually more than one Apple vision pro will, will be able to share the same displays so that you can actually, um, have a, the same experience as others. And, and really the. The having to gaze at the control, I think, is a is a, would be a deal breaker for me. Um, I, I sort of imagine you trying to adjust photos in Lightroom, and not getting, not having to look like you need to look at the photo when you're adjusting light balance and in contrast and and doing the sort of very highly technical things, uh, color grading for video, for example. You need to be able to look at the object of your creativity instead of the controls. Um, I, I think that they'll realize that and, and find some ways to um, to fix that. My killer app, um, actually for a much lighter weight headset, would be uh, a 3D zombie game oh. where if where zombies could chase me um, outside so that I could um, get <laughs> yeah I need a fitness app uh, to make running much more enjoyable and so being chased by a horde of zombies I think would be um, would be quite motivating. There is such an app. It's an audio-only one right now. But right, if you're thinking that would be fully immersive, but also being able to see the path in front of you, that would actually be the thing to get you off the couch. <laughs> Indeed. Brilliant. Mirik, for you, thumbs up, thumbs down, killer. Yes, my thumb is also somewhere in the middle. I'm very undecided on this. Curious, of course, because it is my area of expertise. It's you know something I should be excited about, but I'm... I don't know. I don't know where they're going with it. It seems like, you know, they don't know themselves. It seems like it's, it's many things. 
Uh, it's not a VR headset. The pass-through is good. The, the packaging is slick. Um, I bet the hardware is excellent. Uh, I don't really know. My killer app is FaceTime on it, and that's kind of sad, right? Because you know, it's 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 a different way of making a phone call. So we can do it with video. We can do it with with different means. You don't need all this, you know, uh, effort and. The price tag just doesn't justify it. So if you ask me if I would recommend this to my mom, I wouldn't. I don't know what she would do with that. And and and, and a killer app for this kind of technology, in my mind, is mostly industrial applications. Really, it's not consumer-facing products yet. You may get there, but I'm thinking more in terms of you know design and interaction with technology. And this is not that. It's floating screens in front of you mostly two-dimensional paradoxically you know in this 3d environment you're looking at flat content and with some you know wobbly the effect sometimes and you get the room to yourself and and you can be on a mountain somewhere but you pay almost four thousand dollars for that i don't think i would a trip to disneyland might be cheaper yep fair call violet i can see you chomping at the bit <laughs> no um well likewise i think there's a lot of things that are interesting and that I appreciate about the technology, the anchoring in space, the gesture recognition, that kind of natural user interaction, I think is impressive and needed in the next era of technology. Um, I'm a strong, strong thumbs down, specifically because I think it is culturally and socially irresponsible for a company like Apple with so much power to release something like this at this time, post-COVID, at a time when we like so badly need to reconnect with the world and the people around us. So I'm no, I, mean, I hate it. Um, but at least we have someone on that side now. Um, and just to be controversial, this is not my killer app. I'm not going to say this is my killer app, but what I think will be the killer app, and another reason why I'm a strong thumbs down, is I think pornography is probably the most likely to be the killer app. I'll say it now. I'm sorry it's on the podcast. Um, but I think that's likely to be the type of killer app that we will it's, see. It's, yep. and it's I, been a driver, hasn't it? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so just another reason for me to be like, come on, Apple, what are you doing? All right. It, uh, I don't think they will be allowed in the App Store, but I wonder if there'll be third-party jailbreaks. Anyway, that's a that's a definitely a topic to wait and see and watch. Uh, my rating, look, I'm going to go the other way. I I drink the Apple Kool Aid, have done for a while, but with with some caveats. So I'm a thumbs up. Um, today I'm a thumb half up. Uh, haven't seen it. Love to play with it. Um, my I do need to wait till it's it's on my head, and that pass through is good. I am so critical with hardware. Um, I say I've been playing with these sort of headsets since they came out, and I've not yet met one that I like. Um, they all, I can still squint and still see those damn pixels, or the latency is still not good. Um, so I'm absolutely thumbs up on the hardware. And if that's hardware as a platform, that's fantastic, and that would be all it was, I'd give it a small thumbs up. Um, my, the rest of the thumbs up is the ecosystem for me. Day one, yeah, the ratio of Apple native third-party immersive 
tier one apps versus what the millions of iPad, iOS apps that will appear as a flat screen and they didn't opt out. So therefore they're in, you know, that ratio is horrible. And there will be some apps that will, you know, you can't pinch or poke or touch through enough to get them to work. So that ratio um, is why I'm um, positive or, you know, optimistic that the ratio is going to climb. Probably as the hype cycle goes from this first month of all the things that are going to be posted on the interwebs in the next couple of weeks that then dies down to a dull roar, when people pick up what they can do with more developers getting on board with new ways of working and ways of experiencing things. For me, the one killer app that I saw was an unlikely one. And it was within Apple's own uh, uh, slides, their PowerPoint, their it's the gold not sheets, slides, screens. Wow, I don't use it. Pages. Jeez. No? Oh. oh, goodness. I'll edit this out. I've taken too many guesses. It doesn't matter. The killer app for me is the practice room. Would you like to rehearse these slides now in which theatre? And turn around and suddenly there's my screens as if I was in the Steve Jobs theatre or my local, my meeting room or things like that. That type of, I didn't realise I could do that. For me, this is one of the tools that's going to get people out of the comfort zone of, I didn't know that I could even ask that question that I could have. Um, Mr. Rumsfeld in all of his known knowns and unknown unknowns, I think we've got more things in the spatial computing bucket that are unknown unknowns yet. Well, oh, hang on. Anyway, I won't go too deep into there. Things that we don't know we would have desperately loved if only we had the vocabulary to ask those questions. I think this era is the start of that. I can now ask that question. Can I have a... The answer is probably no now, but in six months or 12 months, can I have a... Can I meet with people in with my virtual avatars in a certain location? I can't get to the family reunion, but can I be there virtually? Yes, I can. And Violet, to your point, I can. What's that like, though, for everybody else? So that mixture of me-centric versus me plus one, the pass-through and the personas and the eyes on the front is great. It's not uh, a killer anything just yet, but it's Apple's at least starting to say we've got a little bit of battery life left over the screen and the lenticular lenses are not spectacular yet but we want to not have you take off this headset to speak to someone else in the room they're starting to think a little bit outside the me universe and at least that gives me hope that there's some version two and the version non-pro be a little bit more for uh, us regular folk um, my last question, we do need to end it. We've been going on a good set of tangents, but my last question, quickly, thumbs up or thumbs down, do you reckon your kids or grandkids will be using something along these lines? So in five and 10 years time, version one of the iPhone was shocking. It had a hard metal backing and scratched easily and had no apps. Uh, version one of, heck, anything you think of from Apple was normally pretty, pretty poor it had limited audience it had great market great fanfare but market share never happened and then suddenly here apple watches are on our you know wrists and things that are commonplace now the white earbuds that you know think every uh, manufacturer brought out a white version of their wide earbuds to match up with the white buds so quickly do you think that this is going to be at least a thing that drives the next era or is this just another blip say yes it's definitely here to stay william 
Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it. I, I think, however, it might actually take on more of the characteristics of VR is to gaming. Um, VR is still a, a bit of a niche in the gaming world. It's big enough to support many different headsets, and major brands still make those headsets. There are some killer apps like Beat Saber and others that are, you know, qu- games that are quite entertaining. But I think the vast majority of gamers. Um, are are still um, PC gamers, PS5 gamers, like even board gamers. And I I think that that spectrum between something that is a full VR experience and a physical board game that has all the social aspects to it and the, uh, you know, I I can spill my cocktail onto the board and everyone laughs, like those sorts of things. Um, I I still think that there'll be a spectrum. I I don't think that um, the Apple Vision Pro and similar devices will dominate our, our experience. Um, or at least uh, I'll be one of the ones that are trying to keep the board game experience alive, along with all of the benefits of modern technology. So. Yeah, brilliant. Mirak, you think this is going to be a blip or the start of the next cycle now? I don't think this is going away. I think the form factor will change. So we just went from shoeboxes strapped to your face to ski goggles, which is a nice development. I think it's going to continue, and I would be radical. We can see, maybe foresee... Uh, now having something like this connected straight to your visual cortex, but <clears throat> there must be good reason to do that, right? And watching Netflix is not that. In VR, I can envision you know this direct, efficient connection, you know, straight to your brain. In AR, we are still sort of looking for why you might want to do that. No, fair call, brilliant team. Look, thanks one and all. That's um, a massive coverage of something that is about to really hit. Uh, I think this weekend we're going to see everyone's unboxing videos on the internet. Uh, and then I think from the next week we're going to see the hype cycle into full effect as everyone takes their pot shots at first thoughts, second thoughts, and whether that spurs on the next uh, development of app submissions to Vision OS. I look from all of us, thank you. Uh, next week, Helen is going to lead us into a conversation focused on some things that William was talking about, loosely around the topics of, here we go, bias, integrity, and starting to touch onto that uh, massive topic of ethics in AI and how that relates to spatial AI. But from all of us here, thanks so much, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, team. like more news and insights about spatial AI or have a story or interesting topic you'd like us to cover, reach out to us. Better yet, come and join the community at Spatial. All the links are in the show notes.